are tuning in to the Love Breezy Bree Yoga podcast. My name is Bree, and you can find me at lovebreezybreeyoga.com. Check out the show notes for more information, including a link to my website. Thank you so much for listening. Namaste. Hey there, yogis. It's Breezy Bree, and I'm so sorry for interrupting the show and our flow. But did you know that you could help support the podcast in a very simple way? I mean, let's face it, you were already going to buy yoga pants, right? As a Lululemon influencer, I'm part of the Lululemon Collective and will receive a commission if you make a purchase through the links below in the show notes. So please purchase your Lululemon yoga pants and all your other gear and join the hashtag The Sweat Life with me and support the yoga podcast. I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. Namaste. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. I am going to jump right in. As the title suggests, this episode is all about asking ourselves, where's the yoga in yoga class? Now, this can mean a multitude of things from anything under the yogic philosophy umbrella to just where are we when we're thinking about the yoga asana, so the postures. And where I manage the studio in my city, we are always trying to make sure we ask ourselves these very important questions. And really, it's all about remembering that the practitioner can benefit from this practice in so many ways if the intentions of the studio, the intentions of the teacher, and of course the intentions of the practitioner are all aligned. And what do I mean by that? Now yoga is yoga asana or the sequences are put together in a way that is to benefit the class or the practitioner either collectively or individually. As you know, that's one of the things that I love doing is sequencing yoga classes. I offer free sequences on my website. And if you took the latest class, that was from my latest sequence. So if you hop on over there now, you'll see that I have probably over a year's worth of sequences already uploaded. So with that said, I take great pride in making sure that I have purpose for why I'm putting a class together. Now, that doesn't mean that every single class I teach, I teach from this very structured place, but I do have reasons why I pair things together. I create a collective for my class. So I understand what I'm trying to do when I'm opening up the hips or what I'm trying to do when I'm balancing on one leg or when I'm focusing on spinal health or I'm trying to protect knees or shoulders. And sometimes all of this is all integrated into one class. And sometimes I'm just focusing on one piece of the puzzle or we're having a little bit of fun intertwined throughout. And over time, it becomes a little bit instinctive, right? So I have a method to my madness. And for me, everything's like a mathematical equation. You add, subtract, you multiply, and you divide. And there's a sequence to that. And the reason is, is because you want to get to the end result. So no matter how long the equation is, you should always be able to simplify it if you just take it 
in that structured way. And I really believe that teaching yoga and sequencing classes should be done with that in mind. With that said, we start to realize that practitioners who come into the practice are not always aware of the why. You know, why is yoga so amazing? And that is one of the big reasons. Actually, that's the only reason probably that I have this podcast. Yoga was so life-changing for me in so many different ways. First, it healed my body. And then my body was able to heal my mind. And then together, my spirit was able to illuminate. So if you follow the chakra system, we always start with the root chakra, right? And then from there, we work our way up all the way to the crown. And if your root is not stable, which is your security, your feeling of confidence, your feeling of safety, all of that, if that is insecure, it doesn't matter what comes after that chakra, you are never going to be able to really accelerate yourself to that healthy alignment of your chakra system if your roots not balanced first. And I can tell you firsthandedly working with those who suffer from PTSD, myself in the past, I can honestly say that I'm well beyond that space. But I can also really attest to the fact that when I was worried and had anxiety about my safety, I really couldn't care less about my sexuality, about speaking my truth, about opening up my heart, about any of it, right? Let alone being able to really come together with my intuition, my third eye, or really having this spiritual awakening with my crown chakra. So I like to think that when practitioners first come into their yoga journey they're coming because they they have heard or they feel or they believe that it's going to improve their lives and there are so many people such as myself and listening to even this podcast you will get this sense that it can totally be life altering and to be quite honest with you I've recorded over 250 episodes over the last two years And I still haven't even really provided all my listeners with the how yoga has changed my life, who I am today from the day that I started practicing, and why it's so important to me because it is so much. It is infinite with how I feel about it. And I would love to start delving deeper. And that's really why I have Breezy Bree Blabs is just to really be able to talk a little bit more openly about my personal experience so that it's not confused with what it has done for me and what it is just from a place of science meets art, right? So with all of that said, when you're first embarking on your journey as a yoga practitioner, you're not always familiar with the why we sequence the classes together the way we do. You just know that you're learning these postures and for some reason they're supposed to be beneficial, right? Maybe over time you learn that inversions relax the mind as the blood is rushing to the head. You might learn that 
any of the stretching of the body is elongating the spine, really waking it up. Back bends have a benefit and forward folds have a benefit to the spine. You might learn that twist really help as well. You might realize that balancing on one foot or opening the hips are all good ideas, but it might not be enough to make this practice a huge part of your life the way that it really should be for you to be able to have that mind-body-spirit connection that is just awaiting you. And we're not talking about religion. Excuse me. I talk about that all the time, that this is not about religion. This is not about your belief system in a higher power. If you have those beliefs, please, those are a part of you. That's not something that's outside of yourself. You should be living your beliefs anyway. So it doesn't matter. Yoga meets you on the mat. You're not looking to replace anything with your yoga practice, okay? Does yoga bring more awareness to your belief system? I personally think absolutely. And the reason isn't because of Eastern philosophy or yogic philosophy. It's because when you are connecting back to yourself and from a place of self-care, And that's what yoga really does provide. It opens up your awareness to things in a way that even is shocking for yourself. You start to think about what you're eating. You start to think about what you're doing. You start to think about your stamp on this world, on this planet. You naturally, because you feel good, you want to do good and be good. And when you start to live in your higher purpose, in this higher vibration, You cannot help but connect to something that's, I think, just coming from a place of true authenticity. And whenever you find yourself in that space, well, then voila, you end up living exactly what it is that you're doing. And so you're not in these different compartments in your life. You know, this isn't like I'm going to the gym and then I'm walking my dog and then I'm having lunch. It's like, You are living exactly who you are. And it's really beautiful. And it doesn't happen overnight. And there's a lot of gunk that will come up in your practice. There's a lot of things that you will notice when you start practicing yoga. You'll become more sensitive to other people, even to your own thoughts and your own self. Breathing throughout your practice, really engaging in pratyama is so spiritually releasing that that is a big part is the the actual movement of yoga becomes a moving meditation. So you end up operating from this certain vibration in your mind. And then you're in collective community in most cases. And anytime you're around people of like-mindedness, you are all bringing the frequencies of the vibration higher. So that's why it's great to do things on your own, right? It's great to engage in yoga on your own, prayer on your own, positive thoughts, affirmations. But when you start to do things in groups of two or more, then you actually can really find yourself creating, I hate to say it, but like it's almost like creating magic, right? And so anyway, my point to all of this is, When you're new to yoga, you don't really get it. You know, you know that there's something there because millions of people are saying the same thing that I'm saying right now, but 
you're also still operating from a place of ego where you're still thinking that this is a physical practice only, that you're there to literally work on something in the body realm, the physical realm, and you're not really connecting to the others. And that's fine. It's it's like the elements, right? It's like earth, air, water, fire. Um, yoga's like that. So you can't just operate in water. You can't just operate in fire. You know, it all has to come together. It's like the four seasons of, of weather changing throughout a certain time span. So teachers who are a part of this practice have to be really mindful of having this interesting dichotomy where they're bridging the gap between this beautiful philosophy of yoga, even just in the asana portion. But if you're practicing the eight limbs and most yoga studio classes, you're going to meet a few of those, right? You're going to have the asana practice. You're going to have meditation. You're going to have pratyama. So if nothing else, you are probably sequencing into your class those three. Maybe you're not in this deep meditative state, but you're probably opening or closing the class in some sort of meditation. It is a moving meditation for sure. Um, Shavasana in itself is meditative. Absolutely. That's why it's so important as well to end a class on that note. And so when this is all linked together, it actually meets this beautiful space in the mind-body connection. And when we teach yoga from a place of integrating outside disciplines, which is beautiful, don't get me wrong, I definitely think that there's a time and place for that. But we have to be really mindful as practitioners, as yoga teachers, um, studios, that your yoga classes are more based upon yoga than not. So what am I talking about? You know, I waited how long? All this time, we're almost, you know, we're over 10 minutes to get to the point. The point is, is that when was the last time, unless you're in a really traditional yoga class, right? Vinyasa flow, um, something from the Ashtanga discipline, Bikram, things of that nature, real traditional Kundalini. But when you're in these like very variety based studios, you can easily find yourself doing a lot more than just yoga or maybe edging the yoga asana portion of the actual yoga class out. Now, obviously, integrating some Pilates is really a beautiful practice. Pilates has its own beautiful mind-body connection. I will link an episode I did about um, yoga and Pilates, you know, being good friends in today's show notes. So definitely go back and listen to that episode if not already. But... Anyway, um, when we get too focused on integrating just body movement in class that's not specific to yoga, it's okay to have a little bit of that, right? So, you know, if you have, let's just use this mathematically, right? You have a good 85% of your class is asana, yoga asana, right? True postures that are linked together, sequenced together with intention, and then you have pratyama, you have, which is throughout the class, by the way. It's already a moving meditation, but maybe you have a little bit of meditative state before and after, or maybe some intentional breathing work. And then outside of that, maybe you have isometrics, you have body movement, you have Pilates, you even have a little bit of ballet um, movements. 
integrated into the practice, then I think that's perfectly beautiful. What I'm seeing more is that we have a lot of body movement, which is great. Don't get me wrong. Yoga is not an end-all be-all. There's definitely things that you should complement to your practice, such as pulling exercises, which I've also talked about on this podcast that, you know, yoga is not like a complete and total physical practice. But we also want to be mindful that we're not making this practice something and calling it yoga. You know, if you're doing something like I listened to this awesome podcast, I cannot remember the name of it, but it's all about body movement. And she's a beautiful yoga teacher. And she talks about how she started integrating her practice, her teaching style into more movement. And she's a physical therapist. And she just thought it was more safe for the bodies that she teaches. And I'm all for that. She doesn't call her practice, her class yoga, if it's going to be about body movement. The problem that I have is that when we're calling the class yoga flow, for instance, or you know, Hatha Yoga or any of those titles, but it's really something else. It's confusing the practitioner. And I think it's really important to understand why we sequence the classes the way we do. And I will also link a past episode talking about that. I I will link a few past episodes that I think are really relevant to this topic. Now, this isn't to kind of, you know, put my nose up in the air toward any other disciplines. Trust me, I am a dancer before I am a yogi in so many ways. Dance is my first love. It's definitely informs all my body movement styles. And when I first started teaching yoga, I had to be really mindful because I've taught dance and I've even taught dance in a yoga studio. I had to be really mindful that I was focusing on asana, And that's really why I started creating yoga sequences and selling them on my website because I wanted to make sure that I was informing my practice personally and my teaching style with true organic yoga. And I can tell you just creating sequences, even if I don't teach, you know, verbatim to that sequence has been so amazing for me as a teacher and even as a personal practitioner Because I've created sequences that are completely done with no down dogs or are all about the spine or leading up to a peak pose or, you know, whatever the case may be. And I don't have fillers in there. And what I mean by that is, you know, where you just start doing, uh, I think, like fitness moves, right? We have to be really mindful that we're not just doing lunges, (laughs) you know, Um, And that's okay if you teach a class that is geared toward that, you know, but students don't know what they're getting. And so if you're a studio owner or you are a yoga teacher and you are worried about keeping your numbers or just keeping um, your students wanting more, making this a lifelong practice for them, ask yourself if you have yoga in your yoga sequences? Like, is it 90%, 85-90% yoga in those sequences with maybe just some, you know, depending on how the class is titled, with some other fun ideas that you can kind of integrate just to, I don't know, make it a little bit more interesting for your practitioner. 
if you are noticing that the only yoga that's showing up in your sequences are the warrior series with some sun salves and in between that it's mostly planks and you know kickups and you know some sort of crescent lunge uh moving power lunges things like that and your class isn't called something that honors that style then your students one will not be able to decipher or discern between what they're practicing as yoga and just going to their local gym right and taking some other fitness class like there's tons of fun classes, body pumps and lots of different things that are out there. And we want yoga to be yoga. You know, I love Rocket is probably my favorite class to take in the Ashtanga series. I like that it's a mix. I like that it's a little, you know, off the cuff of the more traditional Ashtanga um, series. Although I do appreciate that as well. Very young energy. But I also love more than anything that it's 75 minutes of pure yoga and, you know, there's no fillers. Now, don't get me wrong. I love teaching with a few fillers. I love practicing classes that have a few fillers. But I can tell you when I practice yoga and and I practice as often as I can in studio and personally. And when I somehow end up in a class that's feels very fitness oriented and not so much yoga oriented. I'm pretty disappointed for sure. I have taken yoga sculpt with those two and three pound and five pound weights and have practiced complete yoga poses for that entire 60 minutes. So there shouldn't really be a reason why we need to fill um, the sequence with non-yoga poses. And so if you're a student and you are not sure, then definitely um, go to some different studios, try different teachers, because yoga can change your life, but you have to be practicing yoga. And if you're a teacher or a studio and, and you think that you have a lot of fillers in your sequences, start creating sequences. Like, start just taking the time. You don't have to memorize them. You don't even have to teach that exact sequence. Once you create something and you've spent an hour creating a sequence or however long it takes, and for me, I turn around and record that sequence into a class to publish on the podcast. But even before I had the podcast, I would record my sequences in audio and take my own class just so I could hear, did my transitions make sense? How did they fill in the body? And I have to tell you, I very rarely sequence my classes as a pre-planned class. I only pre-plan my workshops. I only pre-plan my special classes. And I might have a theme that I'm working with or a body part that I'm focusing on or something that I want to be able to tailor the class to. But I teach to my crowd 100% or 99.9%. I never walk in with a certain sequence and then turns out that I need to modify the entire sequence for my class. But I teach in what I call clusters. And so what I do is I know that I have categories of yoga poses that need to be sequenced in a certain order, at least in my belief system. And I have a number of poses that fit that category. So if I'm opening up my class, I have two options or actually I have 
I have about four, let's just say, for argument's sake. I can open my class in standing. I can open my class in seated. I can open my class in shavasana. I can open my class in child's pose. There's probably more than that. So then I just decide what I'm going to do. Well, all of those mean different things. If I open my class standing, we're probably going to go directly into sun sals or some variation. If I open my class seated, we're probably going to have a moment of pratyama, possibly a gentle intention setting, um, maybe a little bit of meditation or just some gentle warm-ups, which I consider to be non-yoga warm-ups, right? So maybe we're shaking our heads and warming up the necks and the shoulders. And this is a part of that percentage of non-yoga. And then if I open up the class in Shavasana, again, I'm probably going to focus on some breathing techniques. And then I know I have to sequence out of Shavasana. You know, I can't just have them in Shavasana and then now they're going to have to find their way standing. Like I have to figure out all the floor exercises we're going to do and then how we're going to get to standing. And then if I'm sequencing in child's pose, again, I'm probably thinking about them making this a very introspective, intuitive practice since we're starting in such a calming pose. Or I'm trying to teach my beginners that this is a safe pose for them to take. So my point is, is that I have an opening. And then next to that opening is a warm-up. Maybe those are just right away integrated together. The warm-up can be the sun sows, moon sows. You can add a little bit of non-yoga in this warm-up. As I mentioned, they can do some wrist turns, some forearm wake-ups, some core wake-up. Things like that are considered non-yoga poses. I'm cool with that, right? Now, in some studios, you get there early, you warm your own body up, like Ashtanga, Rocket, things like that, Bikram. And then when class starts, it starts immediately in full-on yoga sequence, right? But if that's not your style or that's not the studio you're teaching in or the type of class, that's fine. You can kind of open it up with some of those non-yoga pose warm-ups. And I think that's beautiful and probably really smart and safe if you have a mixed level class. And then, of course, after the body's warm and heated, then you can start with how you cluster your class. So maybe you start with standing poses or maybe you start with hip openers or whatever you need to do before you balance on one leg or you do arm balances of any type or go upside down. And then, of course, when you're all said and done, then you can take some floor poses, rather that's balancing floor poses, although those can be mixed throughout. You can do floor poses on the belly. You could do floor poses on your root or you can do um, floor poses on your back, right? And then you have things like twist and stretches throughout because, you know, twist, break up, back bends, for instance. And so there's a way that you sequence the class, okay? And there's an art and a science to it, absolutely. And so for me, I have a general idea of how I want to categorize my classes depending on what I'm teaching. So if I'm teaching a vinyasa flow or something that's a little bit more level one, level two, and I'm teaching to a peak pose, or I know we're going to be doing a lot of arm balances or upside down stuff or anything that's a little bit um, challenging, then I'm going to focus that first part of my class on getting the body prepared for that particular thing or that series of stuff. And then I'm going to calm the body and cool it down and break up any stress that came from those difficult postures, right? If I'm teaching a beginner's class, then I might be focusing wholeheartedly on transitioning their body from standing to floor poses 
to moving the body through the sequencing of poses in a safe way. So maybe the whole class is without down dogs or maybe um, we're not really wholeheartedly focusing on just getting the hips completely open, but doing a little bit of hip openers and doing some leg openers like hamstring stretches and quad stretches and things that start to prepare the body to become more flexible over time, you know, stuff like that. And so it's really important to make sure your students understand. And that's why those of you who are listening to this podcast are really informed and can really think about why you're practicing yoga. Why do you want to practice yoga over something else? You know, over Pilates or over, um, I don't know, some aerobics class or Zumba or stair steppers or running, or maybe you do all of those things and this is just a part of your complete health and wellness system, which is great. But you understanding this and really looking for the yoga and yoga class, I think is what is going to be the real reason why you end up having a lifelong practice. Be informed, know that know your body, know what your body needs, know why you want to practice yoga. Ask yourself if you're not resonating with the practice, why? You know, we've talked about that on the podcast as well numerous times. But honoring your practice and being open to try new things, new teachers, new time slots, new studios, um, new disciplines, all of that matters. If you're only practicing in the evening because it's the only time you have, that practice is going to be sequenced differently than the people who are practicing in the morning or the people who are practicing right after work. And then, of course, the disciplines will change things up completely. You know, restoration yoga versus, um, or, you know, restorative, but, you know, same thing, versus a vinyasa flow, two different practices, although very much complementary of each other, so on and so forth. So I just wanted to kind of talk about this topic because the studio that I manage, um, the owner and myself are always discussing some of these key points and what we can do to make sure that we are keeping the asana part of the practice really organic and making sure that the classes are sequenced in a way that's very healthy. And then one of our yoga school, so um, the studios that I teach at, also offers yoga teacher training, so a, a full-on yoga school, yoga program. And the lead um, administrator of that program has been a yoga teacher for a couple of decades. I love her. She's so amazing. And she teaches in such an informed way. She has a lot of not only practice, obviously, and teaching skill and knowledge, but a lot of education in this discipline behind her. She has put in her time. She has continued even to this day to keep learning. And she and I were just talking about taking classes where transitions are dangerous, you know, dangerous to the body and teachers who know better, but are still not taking their time to make sure that they are doing the right thing for the students. You know, this is a therapeutic practice if done correctly. As you may know, or if you don't, I have my um, advanced training as a yoga teacher in yoga therapy. So I'm registered with the IAYT or the International 
um, or IYAT. <laughs> I don't know what I said, but the International Yoga um, Association. And basically, it's all, and I'm also obviously registered with Yoga Alliance. Those are the two top registries. But Yoga Alliance does not register yoga therapists and don't even permit you to use the word yoga therapist at all. And they leave that registration to the IYAT. I feel like I'm getting those acronyms all wrong. IAYT, International Association of Yoga Therapists. Okay, IAYT. <laughs> so I'm registered with both. Um, and as a yoga therapist who's been trained in yoga therapy and has been working in that setting and doing clinicals and things of that nature, I absolutely think that yoga is therapeutic. It can be fun. It can be an exercise. It can be a fitness regimen. Absolutely. But I think the byproduct is definitely wellness and health and therapeutics and holistic um, remedy to the body. So I think yoga is right up there with other holistic practitioners, you know, chiropractics, napropaths, um, you know, my mind is blank, but all of the really holistic body workers, the healers, really, I really believe that yoga is a healing art. And I believe that if teachers teach from a place of intention and they take their time and they want to be healers in this practice, then they can be and they should be leaning more toward that because I guarantee the reason why you're a yoga teacher if you are, if you took the training is because it's done something for you magnificently. Um, now I have heard of people taking yoga teacher training who've never even practiced yoga and I'm okay with that if they're taking it as an immersion and who knows if they've been teaching, you know, kids or other modalities, um, then they might actually fare really well as a yoga teacher. But I think having a personal practice and being able to have your own true blue testimony to what it's done for you and what it continues to do, it's not a one-time one thing at all. It is vast. You know, I have so many episodes pre-planned for the podcast and I've already recorded two years worth over a couple of hundred episodes. And I still, I feel like I'm still like in 101. You know, I'm not even, we haven't even graduated out of 101 yet. So I love you all. I hope that this was more insightful than it was a rant. Definitely not ranting. I definitely want to come from a place of compassion and just honoring the practice, honoring this philosophy, knowing that it is, is beautiful, does not need altering in any major way. There are lots of other things that you can do to complement your practice. And yoga should be, you know, I'm not a purist by any, by any means. I am not a purist. But I definitely think that we have to get the benefits from this practice. And they're sequenced a way that offers that. You know, and if you are a yoga teacher and you teach body movement and isometrics and, you know, um, other powerful body awareness techniques and you integrate that into your practice as a teacher, 
I'm all for it as long as your class is really yoga asana based and you are removing the poses that don't fit your students intentionally and replacing those with things that make more sense for them. Not teaching from a place of you are not spending the time and energy intentionally sequencing your classes, putting the movements together, thinking about what works and doesn't work, asking yourself why you don't like a certain pose, why you don't like transitioning in and out of that pose so you're gonna, going to omit it from your class, which I think is fine. There are poses that I don't like to teach personally. Um, and I'll talk about that in another episode. But, and mostly because I teach all levels and I don't think all poses are, I mean, there's obvious ones that are not for all levels. I mean, you know, going upside down, for instance, on your head and handstand or headstand. But there are poses that don't seem that advanced, for instance, that are not necessarily all levels. A good one is shoulder stand. Shoulder stand is something that should be mindfully taught um, if given the opportunity. And I've broken that down on the podcast just so I could talk about how important it is to not take that pose for granted. But, um, you know, ultimately, I don't have any beef with there being body movement in a sequence. I just have beef when the teachers, studios do not encourage education, do not encourage the why, do not understand how, do not take the time to continue learning, to continue figuring out what works and why we're doing this. Yoga anatomy. I mean, there are some amazing books out there. I have a library filled with books that are absolutely beautiful to inform your teaching style and your practice. I mean, there are tons of yoga anatomy books that really explain how and why, both scientifically and also esoterically, which I do believe in both concepts. And then there are books um, such as something as simple as just understanding alignment and why it's so important, you know, to protect the body for one. And then there's also information out there to discuss being mindful of how we open up the hips. You don't also want to just take hip openers to the deepest level ever every single time you practice and the reasons why that is, right? And then last but certainly, certainly not least, my passion, yoga for those who have experienced trauma, who are either currently experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder or recovering from any type of trauma. Understanding trauma-informed yoga is absolutely life-changing as a yoga teacher and as a practitioner. We all have trauma living in the body in some capacity. Some of it is not life-threatening or even challenging to our day-to-day. But for those who do have triggers that come up, whether they are consciously or unconsciously aware of them, understanding how yoga can help heal from meditation, pratyama, all the way to the asana practice is so imperative, right? And you may not always understand this practice or even know when you are dealing with a student who has these, um, you know, issues happening in their body or in their lives or in their mental. But if you are informed as a teacher and 
particularly as a studio would be nice. It could really change how you offer different concepts to students, even in a collective and an all levels atmosphere. So I hope that this was informative. I'm going to go ahead and sign off because I feel like the more I talk, the more I can say. I love you all. Go in peace. Namaste. I am so honored that you are listening to the Love Breezy Bree Yoga podcast. Never miss an episode. Download the free app on iTunes, Apple Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher. Please also rate the show with five stars. I would greatly appreciate that. Visit me on my website at lovebreezybreeyoga.com. I include free yoga sequences every single month. You can leave a comment or message me and we can connect. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful, wonderful personal practice. Namaste.